some of you may know the name Gary Inrig. Um, he's written a few books, and uh, he tells the story of a, a man who was bitten by a, a dog, later discovered that the dog had rabies. In, the area, in that era, medical science had not yet found a cure for rabies. Sir, we're going to do all we can to make you comfortable, but I cannot give you false hope, said the doctor. There's nothing we can really do. My best advice is you put your affairs in order as soon as possible. The dying man sank back into his bed in absolute shock and rallied enough strength to ask for a pen and some paper. He then set to work with great energy. When the doctor later returned, the man was still writing vigorously. Oh, I'm so glad to see that you're working on your will, said the doctor. This ain't no will, doc. This is a list of the people I'm going to bite before I die. (laughs) Unfortunately, unfortunately, this could be true of some of us. Many of us live and die with this kind of list. If not written out in paper, it's in our minds. It's easy to proclaim the virtue of forgiveness, but the reality is another thing. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning as we gather together. We discuss a topic which is intimate to each one of us. We have all offended one another. We have all in need of forgiveness on the personal level, on the corporate level, on the family level, and on the spiritual level with you. And so we pray, Lord, that you might open our minds, take your word, apply it to our hearts even this day, that the Lord Jesus may be high and lifted up and we be drawn to him. And we give you our thanks in his name. Amen. Well, C.S. Lewis put it very well. He would say, forgiveness is a beautiful word. And, you know, people that work with words love those thoughts. Forgiveness, a beautiful word. Until you have something to forgive. And the context, of course, for this passage is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel. Matthew is a unique Gospel, one of the four, the very first one. The one most of us, when we originally read it, we went, ouch. It has genealogy for the first whole chapter. I can't get it. I don't get it. Like, what gives here? I don't know if you thought that way. That was my response when I first read Matthew. Now that I'm getting a little older, sorry, I am old. Um, um, now that that has taken place, uh, we look at genealogy differently. We look at um, where our roots came from differently. And of course, if you look at Matthew, you find that his gospel has his purpose for writing right at the very beginning. In verse 21 of the very first chapter, the angel tells the stepdad, Joseph, she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's the summation of all that Matthew is going to be talking about throughout the entire book. If you haven't circled that verse, that needs to be circled in your Bibles because it's a powerful verse. It explains what he's really driving at. But he goes beyond just the sonship of of this one whose name was Jesus, to speak of him as the Messiah King. And the word king or kingdom is unique 
to Matthew's account. Uh, for example, it's the word king or kingdom is only found 16 times in the Gospel of John. And it's uh, found 31 times in Mark. It's found 55 times in Luke, but 74 times in Matthew. You see, if you want to know what a person's talking about, count what they're talking about. You know, um, there's going to be a whole whack of people later on today. Well, I'm not sure what they'll be talking about. Will it be football or will it be chips? Will, will it be advertisements or will it be gameplays? Like, I'm not quite sure what the Super Bowl is all about. I know it's just a fun event that a lot of people go to and make it as a, a kind of a, a way to to be happy. Actually, I was kind of happy about yesterday. I don't know if you were, but um, Phil, I saw you yesterday, but it wasn't you. It was the other Phil from Punxsutawney. (laughs) And he didn't see his shadow. So right away I was going, yes. (laughs) We're, uh, according to the prognosticators, um, we're supposed to only have six more weeks of winter. Of course, we all know that that's kind of fun to talk that way up here in northern Ontario. We know we're going to get seven, eight, maybe nine weeks of winter, but we, we try to keep hoping, you know, it's, it's part of who we are. So um, this is a wonderful, wonderful gospel account. He portrays the kingship. And so everything about Matthew is talking about who Jesus is as the king. Um, now we're looking at why do we study parables? This is, uh, I did this once before, and I just think it's helpful to review because uh, we're absolutely... I've been enjoying, at least I've been enjoying the opportunity to dabble in all the different parables and look at them. So why do we study them? Well, first of all, we we disclose to the repentant, to the repentant, the message is disclosed. So if you still don't get the parables, that might be a clue, just, just, just maybe, that you're not repentant. If you still find the parables totally enigmas, then... I'm not suggesting that you're not a believer, but the Bible is clear. It was meant to be for those who are repentant. It was to be disclosed. Secondly, of course, it was the explanation that the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. You will see and not perceive. That was to the unbelievers. And so if you look at back in Isaiah 6, you find that he actually quotes that when Jesus talks about why he gave the parables. And then, of course, the blessings of seeing. I don't know about you, but when I see the Word of God and understand what it says, it just warms my heart. Because for a long time, I just didn't get it. And I don't know if I'm any different than you, but I think there's something about coming to finally get the message that's found in this book. Because it's the only book in the entire universe that tells the way of salvation and tells who we were appointed for. And then finally, it's the fulfillment of prophecy, and he describes that in Psalm 78, verse 2. If you want to look it up, he's actually quoting in Matthew 13, 34, the very verse, Psalm 78, 2. And I love what it says in Psalm 78, 7, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. See, God is the one that we need to forget, not forget, and not forget his works. Uh, But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The passage that we're looking at is Matthew 18, 21 to 35. At least I hope that's the right passage, Phil. Uh, you know, we, we who give, get the assignments. So 
sometimes we're just kind of going, hmm, what parable was I supposed to do here? Um, there's a several places it might be in the, in the New Testament. So um, this is the passage that I studied, so I guess this is the passage we'll look at today. Um, so Matthew's account, uh, 18 is the, is the chapter, and uh, the reference is verses 21 to the end of the chapter. Now, I don't know if any of you do this, but this is one of the ways I study the Word of God. I take the whatever particular translation that um, I'm studying from, this happens to be New King James, and then I look at the verbs and look at them in the Greek uh, to take a look at, with Strong's basically, so you don't have to be a Greek scholar, and take a look at what those words could be interpreted as. And it's funny, but a lot of times the very first word seems to work um, as, as an interpretive uh, uh, explanation. So Peter approached him and said, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Until seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And in this way, the kingdom of heaven is similar to a certain wealthy individual. The word actually is the word we translate Lord, curious, it's found throughout this path. Some translations have it king, um, but most of the time it's Lord in, in the uh, New Testament, who wanted to do a nodded on his steward slaves. So, by the way, um, we have the word servant a lot of times in your New Testament. Oftentimes it's not the word servant at all. It's the word slave. And that just reminds me that, you know, slavery, we, we, we don't, talk much about it because that was dealt with uh, over a hundred years ago in North America or more. But uh, it's, still a, it's still an issue. Uh, slavery is an issue around the world. But Paul would say we are slaves for Christ. We're at his bidding. We are owned. We've been bought with a price. We are not our own. And so the servant steward slave had nothing from which to pay and uh, and the Lord commanded him to be sold into... What, sorry, I messed apart. An audit was done on the steward slaves when he entrusted with his business affairs. And when he commenced to compute their accounts, one was brought before him who could not repay 10,000 talents. But as long as the, as the slave steward had nothing from which to pay, his Lord commanded that he be sold into slavery along with his wife and children and all that he had, and that repayment be made from the proceeds of the slave market. The steward slave therefore fell down, prostrating himself, at the foot of the man saying, Lord, be patient with me. I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that steward slave felt great sympathy with compassion and released him, forgiving all that missing debt. But the very same steward slave then went out and found one of his fellow slaves who hold him a mere hundred denarii. And he seized him around his throat, choking him with the words, pay me what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down at his feet. He begged him. He said, have patience with me. I will pay you back all. And he would and he, um, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should repay the debt. So when his fellow servants considered what had been done, they were in a great distress. They came and he told their Lord all that had occurred. The Lord, after he'd been recalled to him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow slave just as I had compassion on you. And the Lord was enraged. He delivered him to the torturers until he should repay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive 
his brother their trespasses. Wow, powerful, powerful story. And these parables are designed to teach us lessons. But we have to go a little bit further because chapter 18 starts with this question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? You see, if you don't start back at the beginning of the chapter, you don't really get the context for what Jesus is really saying to his disciples. So the disciples come to him with this question, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he brings to them a little child. And he says, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The word turned or converted is actually from a Greek word which means twisted around. I was having a little bit of fun with Becky uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and uh, was talking about this little boy and on, on one of the Facebook videos and said, this is what happens to people when they see Virginia and the little boy's walking along and then poop, turns around and goes the other direction. And uh, I'm sure that somebody was you know, spoofing with, with Virginia on that one. But I was thinking, that's a perfect picture of what's supposed to happen when a person accepts Jesus. They're not supposed to be going the same direction as they were going before. If they were living in sin, they turn from their sin. If they were doing drugs, they turn from their drugs. If they were living in uh, disobedience to God's declared word, they turn from that. That doesn't mean you become perfect, but it means you turn and repent and say, I don't want this anymore. This is, this is where I want to be away from. I want to turn to you, Lord. I repent. I turn. I am converted. And that's what a little child does so easily. How is it that we're like little children? Well, first of all, little children are sincere. I love, I love that thought of sincere. The word sincere comes from a word meaning without wax. And in the olden days, when they would have a vessel, a clay vessel that had a crack or had a piece, a chip out of it that had, could be put back in, they would take hot melted wax, put it in with the hot melted wax, hold it in place, smooth it over, and you go, oh, it's good as new. And then, of course, the first time that pot had something hot in it, poof, <laughs> out would pop that piece and the crack would become visible. And, of course, oftentimes the vessel would be damaged. So the, when the merchants would display their works, they would say, I am sincere. I am without wax. You, don't, you can trust me. You know, when you hear that word, you just trust me today. You, know, you go, oh, why are you saying that? Does it mean I don't need to trust? You know, I mean, it's kind of a flag, isn't it? But in those days, without wax, being sincere was indeed uh, something. Children need uh, are so sincere. They, they they just come to you with what they are. They, they, you know, raising kids is such a delight. I hope all the parents with children do do not do what we do something different than what we probably did, and that is we forgot all the cute little sayings. We never wrote them down. We, saw, caught, we didn't write down any of the, the fun little things that happened. I hope every one of those mothers are just kind of keeping a little journal of those fun things because kids are so much fun. Uh, they're a lot of work, 2 o'clock in the morning especially, um, with the 10th diaper that uh, needs changing, you know, that sort of thing. But, but kids are sincere. Also, kids are, are uh, sensitive. I remember one time uh, talking to my son, trying to control my feelings. I was quite upset at the time. 
I began to lecture my son as controlled as possible. And uh, my son said, Daddy, you're mad. And I said, no, no, I'm not. And I did that really calmly. And he said, well, Daddy, your eyebrows are mad. (laughs) Kids are sensitive. They pick up on things that we need to learn how to pick up on when it comes to God. He wants us to be sensitive to him. You know, little insects, they have their antenna and they smell something and those antennae just turn around. Whoa, I smelled that. That was cool. You know, and we need to be sensitive to God's leading in our lives. Children are also exercise simple faith. David said in Psalms 131 verse 2, like a wean child with his mother, like a wean child is my soul within me. I will not look on things that are too great for me. I'll just keep it simple. A wean child neither cries nor analyzes. He simply trusts his father and his mother to take care of him. And then, of course, a child must be humble. We must guard against cynicism, sophistication, and remain childlike. A story is told of a man who went into a a toy store. He was an elderly man, and he saw these uh, what they call fighting drones. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're really cool. And uh, you basically, you, you, you operate them and you kind of have a little wrestling match in the air and try to knock the other drone out of the air. And uh, he watched as the sales girl demonstrated how the drones could fly and knock each other. And with a sparkle in his eye, said to the sales girl, I love this, I'll take one kit. To which she replied, oh, your grandson will just love this toy. She replied, you know, you're absolutely right, he said. I'll make that two kits. We need to keep being simple and humble before God. And then, of course, remember, too, that a child not only can be humble, but can also receive Jesus. As as parents and as grandparents, we need to be sensitive to that little child that's seeking the Savior. We need to be sensitive that they would come to faith in Christ. A Scottish pastor stood before his congregation with his resignation letter. He said, in the past two years, I've only seen one conversion. It was little Bobby Moffat in the Sunday school. That's it. And I'm out of here. I'm sorry. I'm a failure. And he walked away from the pulpit, a broken man. Bobby Moffat grew up to be Robert Moffat, the missionary who opened up the entire continent of Africa to the gospel of Jesus. You never know when you're teaching a little one in Sunday school, in youth program, in clubs program, or just one-on-one, or as you entertain them as a grandparent, you never know whether that wee Bobby Moffat will be the next Billy Graham. We need to be sensitive to the fact that children can go on to serve the Lord. There's a few misunderstandings about forgiveness. Forgiveness is, uh, has three misunderstandings. It's not the same as forgetting. This is important. We may forget, but your forgiving can be sincere even when you remember. Isaiah 43, verse 25 says this of the Lord. I will not remember your sins. I think that's a powerful verse. I'll repeat it. Isaiah 43, 25. I will not remember your sins. This is God speaking. This is spiritual Alzheimer's. This is, a, 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 this, is a, this is a not remember situation. This is the God of the universe who knows everything. And he says, I'm going to selectively put your sins 
in a place of no memory. Isn't that wonderful that as believers we can avail ourselves of that? But also, forgiveness is not justifying, excusing, or understanding why the person acted towards you is the way she is or he is. And forgiveness is our emotional response to the offender. Pardon deals with the consequences of the offense, and unless we have the authority, we may not be able to pardon the offense, but we can always forgive. We can always forgive. But forgiveness, you say, is difficult. Forgiveness is difficult. It's not natural. The natural impulse is to get even, to extract, extract revenge. Forgiveness goes against our grain of human existence. Forgiveness is difficult because it's not fair. To forgive without fair, just payment offends our sense of justice. We want to be vindicated. And forgiveness is difficult because it's never predictable. You may have forgiven someone, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are restored in your relationship with that person. We expect forgiveness to bring results, but often those anticipated results are not visible or calculable. We live in an age where we count results and forgiveness may not be able to track on a graph like a thermometer. It just can't be done that way. But that doesn't mean we cannot do it. And so the story and hand in the next few minutes, forgiveness. How often should I repeat? How often should I forgive, says Peter? It's rather interesting that Peter takes the position that seven times, Lord? Now, seven is the perfect number. It's the number of completion. Perhaps Peter was thinking that way. Or maybe Peter was thinking of uh, the passage in Amos. In Amos, we find a verse in Amos 2.6, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not turn away its punishment. The rabbis interpreted this section of Amos to suggest this, that God will only forgive three times. Fourth time, you're, you're, not, you're, you're back on the hook. That's it. And, and here, Peter may be saying, I don't agree with those rabbis' interpretation. I think I'd go at least seven times, Lord. You know, seven times? How many times? Now, why do you suppose they had to do that? Because there were 12 disciples, very human disciples, very real. They were constantly competing with each other. Guys do that, by the way. It's the guy thing. They were constantly seeing, checking out the pecking order. Who was number one? Who's the greatest? It wasn't just Muhammad Ali that said that. The disciples were saying that too. And they were constantly snarking at each other. I don't know what the incident was. It might have been Judas who didn't take care of the bag that day. Or maybe it was or maybe it was somebody had too much of the loaf of bread. There was only one loaf left and they, they didn't divide it twelve ways properly. Or maybe thirteen ways, you know, did they think of Jesus? No matter what it was, Peter has that big question. And Jesus says, Not seven times, but seventy times seven. Oh let's let's go back here. Because the story then he teaches is that this is a parable for the disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus this morning? If you are, this parable is for you. And he says this. There was a man in the, this translation, New King James says king, and uh, he wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he settled those accounts, one was unable to repay, and so he was ready to sell him into slavery. What was the matter? He owed 
10,000 talents. Now, if you see the math there, I hope the math is correct. If somebody's really good at math and sees an error, please let me know. Uh, it's nice to have the correct. This was based on the fact that a denarii was a day's wages. So you have 365 denarii in a year if you're working every day. <laughs> I don't know if they did that in those days. And so um, figured out that at today's wages of 25,000 per year, that's minimum wage or at poverty level, um, that 10,000 talents would be 10,000 times 16.4 years salary times 25,000 a year. And that's trying to convert it out in today's modern, you know, four trillion, a hundred billion dollars. That's how much he owed. So for those of us who have MasterCard and Visa and over limits on our accounts, you're okay. You're not anywhere near this amount. You're good. No, just kidding. Um, so he owed a lot, and the point was, it, it's a con- inconceivable, inconceivable. He cannot, he cannot it possibly repay. It's far beyond what he could ever, ever do in his lifetime. It would take lifetimes to, to repay this. You know, it's like the, you know, the credit companies when they say it'll take you 85 years to pay it off based at this current minimum balance or something like that. So his point was, the man couldn't pay it. But the master, the king, the Lord, says, as the servant falls down, he says, he was moved with compassion, he released him and forgave him all the debt. Now, did you notice the man didn't say he was sorry for having the debt? He didn't apologize, he didn't say... I'm really sorry here. I messed up. I had the, the accounts and I kept losing zeros and uh, somehow I got 10,000 talents out of whack here. Or he didn't say, I just made a bad business decision. No, he didn't say he was sorry. He just pleads for more time to repay it. And careful reading suggests that he was still not willing to say that he'd done anything wrong. Verse 27 reveals that the character of the master the character of the Lord, that he was moved with compassion and released him. So, what this reminds us is that we too have have a problem with our Heavenly Father. Our rebellions, our selfish acts, our thoughts, our willful choices, our lack of love towards one another, the hurt we have caused others, our pride, anger, lust, Bitterness, hates, lies, these have all added up through the years to a staggering debt we owe God, which we cannot pay. Think of the thousands upon thousands of sins you and I have committed against God over the course of our lifetime. And if you start thinking about that, that's very depressing. But it's true. That's where we would be without forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. But he forgave him. And he didn't just forgive him. He said to him, it's all taken care of. But the servant goes back to a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. That would be like 100 days wages, roughly three months salary. Chokes him by the neck and says, pay me what you owe owe me. And he shows no sense of compassion because the man says, could you not give me compassion? And he forgives the, uh, not, does not forgive the other, even though he was forgiven himself. And so we find that this is the real, 
the real nutshell of this story. Jesus calls this gentleman a wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you had begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I pity on you? Here's what I try to, to say in all of this. A true test of whether you have truly been forgiven is how well you forgive others. That's a true test. And when we hold in bitterness and resentment and lack of forgiveness, then we have two options. We can say, okay, I need to do better. I need to get right with God and say, please, Heavenly Father, forgive me. I need, and, and I forgive this other person. Or we need to recognize that perhaps we do not yet know the Lord. I've known many a religious person who had such a bitter and hardened heart and could not forgive. And while I'm not called to look, dissect and look into their heart, we are called to say, this is what God says of a true Christian. We have forgiveness and we extend forgiveness. And that's exactly what the prayer the Lord taught. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And so, when we think about it, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having, that we having died to sin might live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So what's the key which opens the door? How do we go from that wicked servant to a loving, forgiving person. There's only one way. It's called heart surgery. A transplant. It's radical, but it works every time. You see, sometimes we think we can just enter in by reforming our lives, by changing our habits. But he says, no, I want to give you a new heart and put my spirit within you and take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what the born-again experience is all about. John 3.3 3 and 3.7, Jesus said that to the most religious person in the entire New Testament, Nicodemus. He was the teacher, and he needed to be born again. That's pretty cool. He was religious, but not right with God. And there's so many in our, in our country today that have a form of religion, but don't have a relationship with the God of this universe. I hope that's not your situation. Peter, who finally gets it, at the end of the story in Matthew, he gets it and he writes about it in 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and bides forever. I'm just going to just make a real quick notation of this illustration of forgiveness that extends towards others. I've told this story sometimes before. Graham Stainer, Stain, sorry, was a, a gentleman who was working with le- a leper colony in India and he was um, a gentleman who did a lot of good, but in January 22nd, 1999, about 20 years ago now, in a jungle camp, he was attacked by a mob of 50 people with axes and other implements while they were sleeping in their station wagon, and the mob set the station wagon alight where his, he and his son Philip and Timothy were burned. They died from this incident, and later on, the civic leaders uh, brought the culprits to trial. Gladys Staines, his wife, said, I have forgiven the killers. 
and have no bitterness against forgiveness, which brings healing and our land. God in Christ has forgiven me and expects his followers to do the same. I would challenge each one of us, if we are a disciple of Jesus, we need to be a forgiving individual. Forgiving, first of all, in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. Forgiving with our relationship with our spouse and our family. Forgiving in our relationships with one another. Have you forgiven me? If, I have forgi- if I've done something wrong to offend you, I want to live in forgiveness with you. And then we need to make short accounts so that we don't build up walls of separation. And we need to be living in this relationship of love that says, I can even forgive my enemies. That's what loving our enemies is all about. We can only do this with the power of Christ dwelling within. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. But Christ living in me is all sufficient to do this. And so we'll ask our uh, team to come forward at this time and with the final uh, concluding hymn. May God bless you as you live a life of forgiveness. Dave asked if I could close in prayer, but I think I will get you all to close in prayer. And we're going to sing again a different version of the Lord's Prayer. It's in our hymn book this time, 426. And uh, we'll stand together and remember especially the, the pertinent verses about forgiving our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But uh, let's, let's end our service by remembering this prayer and making it personal to the Lord in each of our hearts. Please stand.